Well, good day, guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Life in the Peloton, and what a bedancer it's been the last few weeks. So much Tour de France going on. Whew, the dust is settling a little bit now. We're still a long way to go in the season. We've got the World Championships coming up. There's all gravel events starting as well, so lots of cycling going on. But let's get into the podcast this week. First and foremost, I want to say this podcast is being brought to you by our proud partner, Rafa, and I want to chat a little bit about Rafa before we kick off, a little bit about the Rafa Foundation, actually. It's an exciting project that was founded in 2019 with the mission of building a better future for cycling and cyclists. The Rafa Foundation now funds more than 20 organizations around the world committed to inspiring, empowering, and supporting the next generation of riders and racers from underrepresented communities in the sport. To date, the organization has provided over $5 million of funding to 29 guarantees around the world. Now, in 2023, USA Cycling launched Search for Speed, a talent identification program on a mission to make track cycling more accessible to diverse and underrepresented communities in Los Angeles. Supported by Rafa, the Search for Speed is designed to provide a pathway for young adults with the potential to enter the USA national team ahead of the 2028 LA Olympics. What an awesome idea. There's a film that Rafa captured that is being released today. So go across and check that out. That is an amazing project and a great pathway. And I'm so glad that Rafa have captured that and has made it into a little documentary for us to experience. Well, let's crack into this episode today. I've got for you Magli Rochette, a really exciting talent on Life in the Peloton. She was born in Canada. It seemed from the get-go, as soon as Magli took to the bike, she was so suited to the combination of bike handling, running, riding, all the skills you need in cyclocross, which is sort of weird. Not many people go straight to that. She soon became national champion, then she became Pan Am champion, and then she took out her first World Cup win. She loves all things off-road and can really handle herself on the mountain bike pretty well also. Because as you listen to this, she is actually bikepacking with her husband over from Ireland to Glasgow for the World Championships, which are happening right this weekend, where she's going to be competing in the mountain bike marathon event and the e-mountain bike event as well. One of the other exciting things about Magli is away from the bike, she also produces a very successful podcast called Fever Talk. If you haven't heard it, go across and have a listen because she's released a number of different series. But one of the most interesting, I think, courageous series she's done is her menstrual health series, where she openly discuss what some of the challenges are racing as a female around menstrual health. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about her whole career, really, right from the beginning, right up until Glasgow right now, and touch on all that stuff that she has had to go on through, and also other female athletes, some of those challenges and hurdles they go through to perform at the top level. Now, you've heard me talk about AG1 this year as something I use every day. It's a part of my daily routine. And I'm wondering, actually, how many of you have gone out there and tried it? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your feedback. And are you enjoying AG1 as much as I do? I really do like it. I think I just like it because of the simpleness of it. It's a simple routine. It's really nice. It's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning with my kids at 6.30 a.m. I turn the coffee machine on. I grab my shaker. I put a scoop of AG1 in, a little bit of water, shake it up, and that's it. I've built a healthy daily habit in about one minute. 
It's really convenient. It's a daily clean green source of energy. And it actually really does taste okay too. You know, it doesn't sound like it's going to taste great, but it does. Believe me, it does taste nice. AG1 is the foundation of daily health. And that is really why I like it because it's complete enough to be the all-in-one supplement for me, which all goes into improving my overall health. That's what it's all about, I guess. It's more than just greens. It's a comprehensive blend of vitamins and minerals, probiotics, superfood complexes. It helps provide digestive support, immunity support, metabolism, energy, and stress support too. It's just about for anyone, athletes, people like you and me, and everyone in between. It's also vegan, paleo, and keto friendly. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, The Athletic Greens is giving you a one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Head across to drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. That's drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton and check it out. Now, if you didn't hear it last week, guys, I released a new series called The Race Communique. That is myself, Tom Southern, and Luke Durridge discussing what happened in the Tour de France. That's actually not how it's always going to be. We're supposed to be discussing what happened in the last months of racing, but because the Tour de France essentially was the last months of the racing and it was so good, we really wanted to just discuss that. That is the new series over at Life in the Peloton, well, where you find this podcast as well. Go and check it out. Let me know what you think. It's just a new idea. Maybe I'll launch that series next year, but I just wanted to test the waters with those guys because because I do love chatting to those two guys. And I thought, well, hey, why don't we just make a podcast? And then, then we've got a reason to catch up every month. Now, guys, just before we get to the episode, I want to chat to you quickly about a new product I've been using made by Pillar. Now, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company started right here in Australia and developing products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. Now, the easiest way to describe that is electrolytes and carbohydrates. They're the products that you have when you're racing that are going to get you to the finish line. The role of Pillar Micronutrition is to help you to get to the start line, feeling your best over and over again. What I'm talking about is that that's the recovery stuff. That's the stuff you use to get you to the start line before the race and after the race. Now, I've been using the triple magnesium and I've only been using it for the last week and it's actually changed my game for sleep. Well, how do I know? I can hear you asking. Well, I'm not wearing a recovery or a sleep device these days, but I've got a one-year-old and she is still waking up in the nights. Well, Not for me now. I can tell you, I've been sleeping through much to the disgust of my wife. But if you do wear sleep devices, which track your HRV and sleep scores, you don't need to take my word for it because the scores will tell you it does work. It's really easy to drink. It tastes nice. I've been taking it with water in my shaker about 30 minutes before bed each night. If you want to try Pillar today, head across to PillarPerformance.shop and use the code LITP for 15% off your first purchase. Or if you're a USA listener, head across to thefeed.com slash Pillar. Check it out, guys. This really is a no-brainer. Good sleep, good recovery. It's really simple with this triple magnesium and there's no tricks about it. But there's stacks of other stuff to check out while you're over there too. So that's PillarPerformance.shop. Well, guys, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. I'm going to bring you the episode right now. So sit back and enjoy this great episode chatting with Magli Rochette. 
All right, here we are, Magli Rochette. We're here on the podcast. A pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me tonight. Well, not tonight for you. Yeah, it's morning for me, but yeah, thanks to you. I mean, it's uh, I've been I've listened to your podcast before, so it's nice to meet you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be doing this. So thanks for asking me to be on. I don't know when you started your own podcast because you've got a fantastic podcast yourself, Fever Talk. It's something that I did podcasting because I like just talking to people and I like talking to them in person and obviously the evolution of podcasting and I know everyone was talking online before I started doing it but with the whole pandemic it sort of made us go online and be able to talk to anyone when we want it's a great thing because you and I are talking you're over in Canada I'm here in Australia and we're, we're connecting but I do miss and I really do wish we could have recorded this in person but we've sort of got the next best thing how are you sort of going recording your podcasts online do you enjoy that or do you like doing it in person I mean, I like kind of same to you, I think. Like, I really love doing it in person. I think it adds, you know, a better dynamic. I mean, I, yeah, I just love doing it in person, but I, I do enjoy doing it. I'm, I'm happy that we get uh, the opportunity to meet with so many different people online. Like, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for these online platforms, mm. I probably would have done just half the episodes I've done, you know. <laughs> so it's really cool way to meet people. And for me, that's actually why I wanted to start the podcast. I'm just a curious person and I love I love meeting people. And I think I've been able to meet some really cool people through the podcast that ended up becoming friends, which to me, mm. that's the coolest part, you know, like I, I, they're just people that I admired and then you get a chance to talk to them for an hour or so and suddenly they become friends and then we're when you're in the same part of the planet again then you can hang out for real so i think that's kind of why i did it initially and it's it's become really really fun well let, let's talk about you then because it's nice to turn the mic on a fellow podcaster i know what it's like being on the other side you're like oh this is great i just get to sit back and just relax i don't have to worry about what we're talking about and yeah. you just get to talk about yourself for a moment which what i want to talk to you about and I want to go right back to the beginning. I know it's a stereotypical question and you've probably answered it a million times, but I haven't heard the story. I want you to take us through the journey, how you started cycling really, you know, right in the beginning because you followed a little bit of a different trajectory to say like myself and a lot of people who listen to my podcast, it's it's more about road cycling. You're off-road, cyclocross, but also mountain bike. Take us back right to the beginning because Canada isn't really known for their cycling. More, you know, I'm going to be stereotypical here, ice hockey um, mm-hmm. or hockey as you like to call it. Um, yeah, tell me, how did you get on a bike? Yeah, I mean, my dad, so when I was a small girl, I was, I mean, I was pretty tomboy. Like I, I liked things that were different so I was skateboarding and like playing basketball or like all these different these sports that were maybe not as many women in it and my dad was mountain biking and Mm. I just remember I was probably like seven and I was seeing him coming back from mountain bike rides and he was fully muddy and I was like oh my god like this is what I want like can you take me and so my dad (laughs) took me and I just thought it was such a cool thing because for one like I think at back then I didn't really know anyone that that anyone else that was mountain biking you know mm. it's cool so I thought for me like I was like oh this is like my thing that makes me different and I just loved how you know my dad was like always I mean it's because I wanted to but he was like challenging me with like oh do you think you can like go down this hill and I'm like oh yeah like I'm gonna try but I loved that it was really pushing me to do things that scared me and I mm. I kind of liked it and it was also like kind of that moment when my dad which I appreciated. So that's kind of how I always started. And then I started doing a little bit of mountain bike races, um, like the local races. At the same time, I also got into triathlon. So anyway, like through my 
15 years, I was doing both mountain biking and triathlon, eventually going more into triathlon. And at like 19 years old, I got injured. I kept getting injured. I kept breaking my foot from running. And so I... Right. Yeah. I mean, it was... It, I, I had like a, at one triathlon practice, I stepped on a piece of glass and it kind of torn my fascia under the foot. And f from that point on, like it would never, like I kept having stress fractures. So I couldn't run as much as I wanted. And at that point I was like 18, 19 and trying to be on the national team of triathlon. So it was, it just became frustrating. So at that point I kind of stepped away from high level sports for a year and that's when I kind of got back into cycling and mountain biking because I had stopped for the last few years just to kind of pursue more triathlon. But getting more into like just riding was really fun for me. And I was like, oh, actually, like I, I kind of really like it. And so <laughs> I just did more and more. And I actually did road nationals, which was my first kind of big race back. And I got fifth in the elite and I was still just 19 so I was like oh like I'm pretty I'm okay at it and so <laughs> yeah that's kind of how I got back into it and then a friend of mine called me and she's like hey there's this thing there's a cyclocross race in the neighborhood like this weekend you should come try it I think you're gonna like it so I'm like did you know what cyclocross even was no no but I, I was right. like she told me about it and I was like oh I'll look into I'll look it up and back then I don't know if you know Jeremy Powers mm, I do so, yeah so Jeremy had this series called behind the barriers so like once she talked to me about it I kind of looked at that and I saw like the cool vibe of cyclocross I'm like huh so I tried I bought a bike like a pretty cheap $600 bike went to the race and I just loved it. I loved that hmm. it was like super dynamic. There was some technical aspect, but also very tactical and just really intense and short. And from that point on, I was just like kind of hooked. And that's, I started doing more and more and then more mountain biking. And then I got on the national team of mountain biking, signed my pro first pro contract, and then was mixing both cross and mountain bike and now here we are so it just it happened quickly once I committed it happened quickly because I think I had this background of just doing sports really my whole life um you know triathlon you're still fit even if it's not bike specific just bike specific so it kind of came quickly because of that background and yeah I just loved loved it really I guess there's a couple of one especially one point there you, you mentioned that when you got injured you were sort of around 18 years old that for me, often you see it now with a, a lot of people coming through in different sports. That's the pinnacle point where they go, you know what, sport, mm, going out, hanging with my friends, drinking, you know, hitting the clubs, this sort of thing, or especially in Australia, because that's what you can do um, at 18 years old, you know, and that can be sometimes that point where they, you see a lot of good athletes sort of drift away from it, um, you know, more naturally talented and the ones who really want to work at it. But for you, you had a break right in that moment and that was actually something that drew you back. Can you remember back to that time Yeah. and being sort of not even interested in that or maybe even wanting to get more into it or what, what happened in that little, that break? I mean, that's actually a really good, and I kind of brushed over it, but it actually was a key moment for me. Like I wasn't in the best, it, it was tough for me, like having that injury at mm. that time, I was, I had been considering myself an athlete my whole life, you know, that's kind of all I had done. And so just kind of stepping away from it for a while, I was kind of searching myself a little bit. I wasn't sure 
Um, so that summer, I, I actually, it was the first summer that I didn't race much. Like I was, went camping with my boyfriend mm. and with my friends and we were, I was still active because I loved it, but never in my head, like I wasn't really into competing. And so I did some adventure races and all bunch of things. And I think stepping away from it for that whole summer ended up being beneficial because then I remember, I kind of realized that I missed it because at, you can drink also at 18 in, ca in Canada. So like, mm, it, you know, okay. I kind of got, you know, a little bit into it, but not that much. And I realized, <laughs> well, I don't think that's for me. Like I really do love competing and I kind of miss it. Um, and I realized that what I wanted to do was go train with some of my friends. So maybe it was less structured. You know, I remember we were mm. doing, um, I had a, two of my friends that we were kind of sometimes riding together and what we would do, we would go on Mount, Mount Royal. So where you have the, the Montreal Pro Tour. So like that climb. Oh yeah. And we would yeah, do right. like training on that and finish by eating like kind of a luxurious hot dog that they have in Montreal. Anyway, like it was, <laughs> I was still really into it, although maybe not as structured or as intense. I was like, well, I actually really love that. And so that kind of naturally got me back into having some goals. And, and yeah, then that's when I decided to sign up for the road nationals. And that kind of changed it because I'm like, oh, I haven't really been doing it seriously yet. I'm still like, okay, you know, I'm like fifth in the country at this race. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, like maybe I should actually get back into it. I really do love it. So looking back, I think you're right. Like I, I did step away and it could have been that thing that just take me out of the sport. But I really do think that it made me kind of want more, it more. Want yeah. it more. And also like I think, you know, when you do it, like since you're a kid, maybe you're like, it's just something that you do because you've always done mm. it. But when you step back away from it, then coming back is a, is a conscious decision. And then you're 19 years old and it's mm. actually you decided like, deciding no this is what i want to do and this is how i'm going to do it so i think there was this shift that yeah just made it more important for me maybe it's funny how you look at that now in in perspective and looking back on it and it's like almost like it was meant to happen that way in fate you know you're like if that if i hadn't got that injury maybe i would have pushed on for a couple more years and burnt out you know yeah but that break at the right time and i, I always say this about little crashes and injuries that i've had along the way you can look at it two ways. And when I have these crashes in pinnacle part of my career, especially one specific crash, it got me that chance to reset and take me out of the bubble. Like you said, I was just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Got me a chance to go, do I really love this still? And then I could make the conscious decision as you did. Yeah, I do. And I want to do this. And then I went on, opposed to just sort of pushing through one or two more years. Yeah. Uh, just to jump on that, what you said, like, I think it's so well said. It's, I, I also think like sometimes, so I just had an injury now, like from the last, I don't know, last three, four months. And I realize it's really the first time in the 10 year I've been doing this professionally that I'm having this kind of forced break. But I think mm. it's a good thing. Like, you know, otherwise you never really stop. Like maybe you have like three weeks at the end of the season, but you never really have a time to actually stop. And so this was kind of forced upon me. And at first I thought like, oh, well, this sucks. But I think, as you said, like looking back now at the last two, three months that I've been kind of forced to rest, I think it's a really good reset. And now I'm like, okay, well, now I'm really ready to go. So I do think mm. you're right. Like sometimes those things are opportunities rather than obstacles. Just depends on how you look at it, I guess. 
Totally. It's the way you look at it, you know, and it's very easy to say right now, but let's talk about it because like you said, it probably could set you up for a very good cyclocross season, which is in the wintertime at the end of the year when, you know, road cyclists are having their, their time off. But for you, that's game on. So you having some time off now could potentially set you up for the cross season, which is what I want to talk about because you're probably most notably known for your cyclocross skills. And as you said, you fell in love with it in the beginning. I don't know whether this is true or not, but I sort of see it as like you started sort of mountain biking with your dad, then you did some road cycling. It's like the nice, happy medium. Is that how you sort of see it? Yeah, maybe a little bit because it does, you know, sometimes I I still do mountain biking and I, I love it. I love mountain bike riding and the racing mm-hmm. is fun too. But for me, the racing is less tactical, you know, in mountain biking, it often happens that you're kind of riding, everyone's kind of alone, but cyclocross has this aspect that comes from road maybe where there's a lot of uh, tactics Mm. involved there's like peloton riding you know maybe not as much as the road but still like there's this dynamic that that adds kind of a component of complexity which i really enjoy Mm. um so yeah i do think it's it's a little bit a mix of both you know and it's it's shorter like it's we race 50 to 55 minutes and I really love how intense it gets. Like there's no dull moment in those 50, 55 minutes. And to me, that's that's exciting. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. It's probably like kind of the, the mix of both. Well, you told me about Jeremy Powers. Now he, just because we didn't sort of explain him to listeners, but he's sort of the the goat of cyclocross in the US. And he went across and, you know, did very well in the, in the motherland in Belgium and Holland as well. And that's ultimately where eventually you went. I guess you started racing in, you know, the US and Canada. But then, you know, I think it's the same with road cycling in Australia. If you want to do anything in road cycling, you've got to go to Europe. And of course, with cyclocross, that's where you've got to go. Tell me about that jump over for you, because from what I understand, you've sort of created, cyclocross is a little bit different to, from what I understand, to road cycling in terms of, there are a couple of big teams, but most of the the people who go across, they've got their own little mini teams and you've created your own little mini team with your husband and I think with your dog and you, you go across there. That jump is something that, we have to experience, you know, as Australians, Kiwis, you know, Canadians as well. You've got to make that jump to Europe. It's not as easy as everyone thinks. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about going across. I don't know what it's like for the cross season. Is it, is it like really intense? Is it intimidating? What is it like coming into that scene? Yeah. I mean, the first few times that I've been to Europe, I was on an actual team. So I was uh, the first five years of my pro career, I was racing for the Cliff Bar team. So it was like a full woman off-road team. And so we would go sometimes to, I mean, it was mainly mountain biking, but I did go across with them for cyclocross a few times. So that's when I kind of knew a little bit what it was all about Mm. and back then it was intimidating just because the style of racing is different but at the same time i didn't really see it because i was in this team environment which made it which made all the logistics Mm. around pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) but then um five years ago my husband and i did start our own team so it's just me i'm the only writer and he does basically everything else and this is (laughs) (laughs) this is when we realize like how how much of a challenge it is because I mean, cyclocross is a pretty heavy, I mean, it's, it's, it's intensive on, you know, equipment and all of that and logistics. Mm. And so if you're alone, sometimes it can be tough. And I think, I think it takes 
one of the things that's intimidating is it takes a while to be accepted, quote unquote, by the other writers and the other staff and like kind of that core European cyclocross mm. community. At first, I remember one time, like it's the first time we spent, like we've packed our things and flew there with 11 sets of wheels and like all <laughs> these bikes and stuff. And we were renting a little car. And it's the first time we went there for like three and a half months. And I remember one of the first races, like after maybe a few weeks that we're there, like not many people are talking to me. And then we're just like <laughs> waiting to get on course. And I'm like, ev all the racers are there. And I know they know who I am and I know who they are. So I'm like, oh, well, this is my chance to make friends. So I'm like, hey, everyone. <laughs> on the start line. Well, no, just before the pre-ride. So like just before we get okay. on course to look at what the course looks like. So it's like, you know, maybe two hours before the race. So it's not a stressful moment. So I thought, well, oh, I'll make friends here. And so I just said like, hey, everyone. And everyone looked at me, didn't say anything, and started chatting together again. So I was like, like, this is so mean. <laughs> the <laughs> and, ultimate rejection. Oh my God, it was totally that. Maybe like one or two people were talking to me, but it was pretty harsh. And I'm a very sociable person. Like in the US, you know, everyone's my friends. And I, I thought that was like, mm. to me, that was hard. And I was like, oh my God. And it's just like, there's all these obstacles that, you know in belgium and i'm i don't know if this the same on the road but for example like all the the the, the same races come back year after year so if you want to you have to go get your number but it's not written anywhere where the numbers are they're just in the same building they've always been to mm. but if you don't know like i would spend hours like trying to find <laughs> the freaking numbers and then like there's no toilet so and i used to not have a camper so like all these things like you can't go to the like all these things that you think little things oh my god yeah. little things that are so normally like you're you just you know you take for granted in a u.s race but they just they're so different so it took a few years but eventually like people started really respecting us and accepting that now mm. we're part of the this community and now everyone's so nice with us like people are tr helping us out like they know that we're the we're just a team of two so if oftentimes like a mechanic from my competitor will catch the bike for me while my husband's giving it giving it mm. to me so like now a lot of people are helping us out and a lot of people are my friends too. Like I have dinner sometimes with some of my competitors and it's just so fun now and so cool to be part of this, but <laughs> it took it took a long time. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I guess it's, uh, that's something that I guess it's easy to say now when you're sort of in it. I, I really do like that element of Europe that you've sort of got to earn your stripes and then you got, they've got to work out who you are and they, they maybe needed to see you race not only for the first season to see how well you went, but then to come back because you could have just been sort of a, you know, fly, dash in, dash out, you know, who knows who that was. But you came back, you you went in and you earned your stripes again. Hey, I'm here to stay. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to get my head kicked in one week, but I'm going to be right back here next week. I'm going to win the week after. Mm -hmm. I'm not going away. And that's probably what sort of they went, all right, she's one of us now, you know. And I, I, I sort of like that old school way, which I feel like because of – the way the world's sort of evolving and technology and things like that, that old school sort of find out yourself and work it out and, you know, listen to that guy and talk to that guy over there and get your number from that shop. That's sort of drifting away from road cycling, especially. Um, mm. And it's something that I do miss because I think it's a, it's a part of 
especially road cycling, growing up and, and learning, you know, the skill and mastering the art. Um, I agree. And I, I like to hear that it is sort of like that still in cyclocross. Yeah. Do you think it still is like that? I do think it's still like that, yeah. And and I agree with you that, like, looking back, I appreciate it because it makes it so much better now. And it makes it mm. that, I mean, I, I think, like, ultimately that's experience you know too like there yes there's the the race craft experience that you that you gain and that you learn as you grow up as a racer but also all of these things are part of gaining gaining experience and it's a beauty of the sport too like getting to know people and making connection which makes everything easier year after year and week after week as you go back so i think that's you know i think when you step away like one day i'll step away from it and and i'll remember those things and they will be Mm. those things and those people that have come along and helped us along the way and i think those things are some of the most beautiful memories maybe more so than the actual race that you know some of them some of them will like stay in my mind forever but some of them are just like you know i kind of don't remember they kind of all you know they're all they all look the same in my mind so i think that's definitely something that's important to learn and that I'm grateful that we have learned for sure. And and I do think it's still the same for, for the young ones coming up <laughs> right now. Well, right, as we're talking right now, the Tour de France Femmes is on. I'm talking about the road now. It's a big step um, for female racing. And it's a question that I want to ask you is, you know, into the cyclocross scene, and I don't know exactly sort of the progression of female, sort of the female scene in cyclocross and what the level it was before and how much it's raised through. But definitely on the road, we've seen this this big push, which has been fantastic to see the level of female, not only the level of racing, but I'm, I'm actually talking about the level of racing in the race. And I've been enjoying watching the racing progress and how much more professional the races have been getting and how much more interesting for me to watch them. What I want to ask you is, what are the challenges that you've gone through yourself as, as racing as a female, not only a cyclist, but a female athlete? You know, there's different levels of that question I want to sort of ask you is, you know, you know the, the lack of coverage, you know, TV coverage, you know, the, the recognition socially, but also the performance issues that you have to go through to perform as an athlete that you need to be at a certain level that you need to push your body to 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 achieve but you know that yourself is this the right thing I'm doing for myself what are some of these challenges that you've gone through yourself on all those sort of levels over your career yeah so I get I guess like first of all similar to well first I mean I love also watching the the Tour de France fam like it's it's awesome and it kind of makes me dream that well, maybe one day I should like try to go, but it looks really cool and it's really fun for me to see to see that. Um, I think in cyclocross, we've been a little ahead of the curve in terms of mm. equality in the sport. Um, and, you know, that's thanks to women that came before me and, and fought for it. So I've I've always said, like, I feel lucky to be racing now. And I think like the the generation that's a little younger than me are even luckier because like the sport is just in such a even better place but I still consider myself lucky because it wasn't long after I came onto the sport that the the sport became televised in the women races Mm. as well and then we since 2020 we have equal prize money at all the world cups and it was before that we had it all at the other UCI events so it's 
I think on the off-road side of things, we've been a little bit ahead of the road yeah. in that sense, you know? Um, you know, if you watch like any cyclocross World Cup or any race, there's equal coverage for both the women and the men. But it wasn't like that before. Like the people that their generation before me used to not be televised. Their The women's race was before the junior hmm. early in the morning. So no spectators, nothing. So it did change a lot. And I'm grateful for the people that fought for that. Do you know why they were ahead of the curve in, you know, on the off-road scene and why, what were the sort of the, who were, who were the people that sort of try to push this forward, you know, faster than say what we saw on the road? I think, I mean, I know that one of the women who fought for it is Helen Wyman. And I think one of the things that made it maybe easier is that the men and race, the men and women races are the same, you know? So we're, mm. you know, let's say we're at the Namur World Cup in Belgium. Well, we're all racing the same course on the same day, two hour difference. So it's very, mm. like all the cameras are already there. Everything is already there for the men's race. So why not also show the women's race, <laughs> you know? And I think that's maybe a difference that on the road, like the races, the calendars are just completely different and you don't race at the same time. And also I think that made it maybe quicker to um, to come. And I know that one of the first thing that Helen fought for was the uh, the TV thing because she said well if if the sport is shown then people are going to want to pay for it you know more so that mm. like she fought for this first and then eventually the prize money came but yeah i think it's just because we have the same races that made it do you know the viewing you know other what are the viewings like you know in comparison to men and women you know is it the same now is it or was it less before or is as soon as it became on tv people were like i'm on board this is just good racing to watch or it took a while to come up the same um I think now it's fairly the same, mm. but I can't tell you how long it took to get to that level. But 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 one of the thing is, I think you know you were. I wish I could tell you, but I just don't want to like invent numbers, you know. So <laughs> I can't. well, no. The reason why I asked, sorry yeah. to interrupt, is because is for me Paris Roubaix. As soon as they televised the women's Paris Roubaix, well, from the first edition, the day before Roubaix, I love that it was just had its own day. Yeah. And it wasn't just sort of wedged in after, you know, the race, the men's race or wedged in before, you know, you because you've just watched, you know, the men's edition, just say you always tune into that. And then to watch a little bit of extra racing at the end, it just sort of took it away. And for me, as just an athlete, I was just glued to watching the women's race before my race because I was G'd for Roubaix. Yeah. And now this year and last year, not being a, a rider, I, I was like, this is a whole weekend of Roubaix. So for me, it was fantastic. And for me... I couldn't see any reason why you wouldn't watch it. The women's race was just as exciting for me as the men's because they had their both each had a day. And I was just wondering when it comes to cyclocross, are you just imagine it would sort of be the same feel? Yep, they're they're pretty similar. I know now they're pretty similar to viewing. Sometimes the women's higher, sometimes the men's higher, but it's it's very similar. But I think one of you know, you were talking about how the level rose, like it really did mm. the same, had the same effect in cyclocross where there's the field are deeper, they're bigger and it's faster. So that's yeah. been really cool because it makes for really exciting races. There's more people that can win because, you know, there's more stronger people. So depending on the course and who, what, you know, who's favored depending on their skills, like, so it makes really exciting races and it forced all of us to reach the higher to reach a higher level which is exciting so yeah i mean 
it, it it's been great and i forget what i'm sorry but i forget what was the question you were asking about challenges that we might have yeah right? it was just some of the pers- personal challenges yourself you know you know, with things that you, when you stepped into it and you we've spoken a bit i guess a bit more on the the global sort of sense or the you know the the view from the outside but as you, as yourself the personal sort of challenges you had and, and coming through the sport i guess things that you noticed yourself that have changed but also little hurdles that you've got over yourself well one of the things that i remember like very clearly so one of the first world cups i did so that must have been like 2014 or something like that in cyclocross and i I traveled with one of my friends who's a male and i got ninth at the world cup and Hmm. he got 46th and in the men's race and i for getting ninth i think i got like 150 dollars and for prize money and he got 600 euros i think for getting 46 and i was like oh my god like this i i couldn't believe it but at the same time like it's so cool that just a few years later now we're fully equal and i think yeah as i said that rose the level but also yeah it allowed i think it allows us to do it full-time it allows other younger athletes to dream that they can make cycling their job you know Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about another income so like there's been so many positive changes that yeah i just as i said i just feel lucky to to be right racing in this day and age (laughs) so that's that's been fun um i mean i think you were talking too about like challenges in terms of uh maybe you were talking about menstrual cycle where is it the right thing? Like we have to be fit and lean and all that. But at the same time, if we're like heading too much in that performance direction, well, then Mm. maybe we lose our period. And then you kind of wonder like, okay, well, am I, you know, destructing this? Is it? It's very easy to compare men and women, but clearly, you know, when it it comes to the the racing and, you know, when we're talking about wages and the differences, things like that, sure, we can do the direct comparison. But when you're talking about two different athletes here all together, and this is something that I obviously don't know exactly, but I have an idea that you know, we're built differently, yet we're treated the same. And when it comes to performing something that I naturally do is from the pressures of my team or from my coaches, I need to meet this standard. I need to be a certain weight. I need to be do a certain amount of load training. I need to have a it's what I think is the correct diet for, you know, to push the level of myself. And ultimately sometimes it is unhealthy what I do as a as a male athlete. And I guess the question I want to ask you is I'm trying to understand this a bit more. I've got three kids now and talking to my wife a bit about what she went through with our kids is just I can't imagine trying to put the pressure on my body when yet I'm I'm a female and I'm trying to also I've got a reproductive system that needs to have a healthy body and I'm wondering the question what I'm asking is I'm wondering how do you combine the two you know it's it's a question I've sort of always asked myself as a, as a female athlete there probably comes that choice you know do I want to keep racing or competing or do I want to have kids you know it's a it's a decision we don't have to make as males yeah so I guess it's that, that combination and it's an area I don't know about. It's, it's why I pretty much want to ask you the, the question, how does how do those challenges come, go? I think there's a few things here that kind of popped up and it's super interesting. So thanks for bringing it up. First thing is like, yes, I think, and I, and I think like this needs to be clear, like men and women are different. Mm. And, you know, sometimes like people will be comparing the men and the women's races, but I think they both have their appeal, you know, like, yes, male sport and I admire it too like sometimes you'll watch like a road or a cyclocross race and the the just amount the amount of power and sometimes that translates in like technical ability that 
you know, males are so powerful that they're able to like jump over a rock that we might not be able to. So there's something really appealing and really cool to watch there. But I just don't think we can't compare men and women's sport on like a similar, uh, uh, you can't compare with the same variables. Like women have something different. So yes, maybe we like can't, we're not as powerful and we can't jump over this huge rock or anything, but maybe the race is more tactical or maybe, you know, yesterday in the tour, like there was this big, um, like a long day breakaway. And at the end of the day, like the the two girl that got caught up, like they're like, oh man, like this was cool. But there's like a, cool camaraderie in the women's races too that's like special to watch and that can you know share really cool values but as i said like the tactical like there's more people on the same level so like it it just is a different Mm. and i think you need to we need to compare it with different variables like of course we're never going to be like as powerful as the men but that's okay um now when it comes to like making that decision like that we were talking about i think we're the same yeah. you know like we're still type a people if you're like professional athletes so we want to like perform to our best and so i think i mean i'll I'll speak for myself like i also want to be like as athletic as i can and like perform as the best as i can so i've tried you know like being super lean and saying and i still think about it like i know that i'm not going to be as fast as i'm if i'm 20 pounds over you know heavier like i'm just clearly not going to climb as fast but then in the recent years like i've tried to you know i lost my period for a while just because i was too you know not really focusing on it you know i just thought Mm. well this is kind of a burden anyway like it it kind of sucks to have your period you kind of feel like shit for for a week and a month and it's like this was not something that I wanted to deal with anyway. Is this a common thing for for some for female athletes to go through this? Well, I think so. I mean, it's just like to be honest, as a young girl when I first lost my period, I was kind of proud of it because I thought that meant I was like a serious mm. athlete, you know. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of stopped thinking about it because it wasn't really coming back except the one month in the year where I I was in the off season. But then at some point, like there started being more people talking about it and i realized well maybe maybe it's something this isn't I, right well yeah maybe mm. it's, this isn't right or maybe this is something i should at least get to know you know and get to understand and so what i was hearing was well if you don't have your period maybe you just don't have it, it's because you your body doesn't have the energy necessary mm. to have this reproductive system active so then I started thinking, well, if it doesn't have the energy for that, does it have the energy it takes to like perform at the highest Fun, level? Yeah. You know, so it's like this give or take that I started to wonder about. And that's why I made this like podcast series that you were talking about. And I asked professionals to start to understand. And then I tested on myself. And I think now I have my periods back. And I think I think you can kind of be more powerful if you give your body the energy that it needs you know and maybe that means mm. i'm like a few pounds heavier it doesn't mean i have to be 20 pounds heavier maybe just and sometimes it's not necessarily about weight like i'm still thinking in my head like when it's time to race i want to hit a certain i don't actually have a number but i want to feel lean enough that i'm light and that i can climb fast and feel like i'm an athlete you know i still have that but at the same time if i just pay attention to how I nourish my body. And sometimes it's a timing thing or Mm. it's just adding a bit more carbs or just being conscious of that. 
I'm still able to have my periods and I think ultimately it makes me more powerful. So I don't know if that like makes sense or responsive well, to the question, but it, it yeah, I, I guess it is a, a challenge that maybe you, you face. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just sort of hearing out of all this is that the reproductive system is, you know, the body is telling you having a period is when the body is ready to, to reproduce, to make a baby. You know, it's telling you I'm healthy, I'm I'm ready. I'm, I've got enough sort of support here. And that's the natural process, for, process of your body. But maybe when it stops, and I'm certainly just hearing what you're saying, it's like, hey, I'm in sort of defense mechanism now. I can't even think about, you know, making a baby or, you know, I'm not ready for that. So it's not in a healthy state. So like what you're saying there, let's get ourselves back to a healthy state, which what you said before, it's an inconvenience. So you don't want to do that. But actually, I need to be the best of myself to not only reproduce, but to be an athlete, to be, I need to be the strongest version of myself. And that is, from what I can hear you saying, it's understanding how to eat well, your diet. It's not necessarily going down to, you know, McDonald's and just stuffing your face and, you know, eating any old food. It's about eating the right food Mm -hmm. at the right time. So is this process of understanding your reproductive system actually made you a better athlete because you're understanding how to fuel yourself better? Yeah, I mean, I do think so. I think you recover better and then you're like, you're ready for the next session. And, you know, in my mind, I still I still struggle with it sometimes because, Mm. you know, you said it earlier, like being a professional athlete and trying to be the best in the world. It's not always balanced. And it at at some point in the season, it's not always the healthiest thing. But if if you want to be the best, like I I still struggle with that, you know, because I I still Mm. want that. Um, But I think that. I think the two can be together maybe like maybe for nine months of the year you can just I mean I don't know what I think it's it's like it's tough but sometimes like in the race season nowadays even though I have my periods all year sometimes in the race season when I'm traveling more and and maybe a little bit more stress and just like at the you know at the fittest that I'm Mm. ever gonna be well sometimes I, I skip a month but for me, mm. that's kind of the sacrifice that I'm making. I'm like, well, it doesn't mean that I'm unhealthy if I miss one period. Like for me, that's something that I'm comfortable with. And I think everyone's comfort level is different. But for me, that's kind of where I've I've kind of, if it happens naturally, you know, and once in a while I lose it because, you know, there's more stress, I'm like, okay with that. And I don't think it means that, I, my, that I'm harming my body or that I will not be able to have a baby or anything like that yeah it's kind of something that that you kind of balance and Mm. but but i really do try to always make sure that what i've learned in terms of nutrition and recovery and all that i always try to make sure that even in the highest period of racing that i i keep that and that i eat enough and that i give my body what it needs i think that's the basis the basic of all of it and then you just give your body what it needs to perform and recover and get stronger. And then, you know, you kind of hope that you hope that it's enough. But <laughs> what about on two, two levels then physically and psychologically, can you sort of weigh up how you feel performance wise, you know, cause I'm not going to push you either way. I'll let you answer that question before I put my opinion in, but what can, what can you feel physically what what do you, what's your opinion? Are you psychologically and physically? How do you feel either way now? Now you've sort of come back and understood 
and you feel like you're treating your body more respectfully now? I think I'm more powerful. Like if I just look at power numbers, like they're higher and my weight is really not much bigger. Like I think I allowed myself to, I allowed my body to kind of become a woman body and not just a girl's mm. body, if that makes sense. So yeah, maybe it comes with a little bit more, maybe I'm a little bit heavier, but there's a lot of muscles there and the muscles like I can use them, you know? So mm. I think there's ultimately I'm more powerful, uh, ultimately less prone to injury too, because mm. like your mm. body is healthier, your bones are healthier, all of that. So I think ultimately it's it was worth it to go through this process, I think, and learn mm. all about it. Um, and I think from day to day too, like kind of big day after big day, mm. I can do more, you know? So if you can do more, well, ultimately you'll, you'll get better you know so i think it's i think it was worth it and you know i was talking about these stress fractures that i kept having when i was younger i think yeah. it's related to that too like i think i was just maybe not giving my body what it needed for the for everything that i was asking from it um and so you know it, it just can't hold yeah that's that's also part of performing like if you don't get injured you're more consistent and if you're more consistent then ultimately you perform better so I do think ultimately it was a good good thing to do. Yeah, well, because what I was going to say is I think I, c I could imagine myself. Um, how could I ever imagine? But, you know, I can imagine that psychologically that would probably be the biggest boost for me. I would just know wholeheartedly that I'm doing what is right for me and this is my decision. And that would be more powerful than any, you know, any other sort of benefit I would get for being one kilo lighter or more fueled or whatever it is. Just the, the mindset, knowing that I'm treating myself right. What I want to ask is, yeah, what, what are the, the roll-on effects if you keep going down this road, you know, as a, for a female? Because it is different to a male. When you talked about bone density there, it's quite detrimental early in your life as, as a female. If, if you've got low energy availability and you're not treating your body right in those early years, you know, bone density is, is a big sort of, you know, byproduct of this. Because, you know, what are some of the, by, what are some of the, the fallout effects if you don't sort of listen to these signs to be honest i don't know like i'm not mm. you know as much as i've tried to learn about it like i'm still not a doctor or like mm. a professional about it so i i don't know and i'm happy i don't i guess because it means i didn't get to a point where it was like mm. so bad but i i think to go back to your point yes i think psychologically it does help too mm. um and you know that's a, that's an interesting thing where I think it's different for everyone and different for even the same person at a different stage in their career. Like there used to be times where what fueled me mentally, like what motivated me was, you know, paying attention to all these tiny little details that, you know, oh, maybe I can be like 1% here <laughs> if I drink this vegetable juice or if I do like this thing or, but now I'm like in a point where I guess what I'm trying to say, these little details, they can take a lot of mental energy, you know, sometimes yeah. um, and it can be draining. Now I'm at a point where what fuels me and what makes me like, I just want to be happy. And, and to me, that's like, OK, if I do the basics really well, like I do my training really well, I eat well when it's a good time, I sleep well, I recover well, <laughs> but my friends are going out for ice cream i also go because this makes me so like it gives me energy it makes me happy and then when it's the time in training to like do that one last rep or like to do an extra sprint or do an extra thing you have that willpower you know whereas if you've used that willpower to 
do all these tiny details that maybe yeah. don't make a difference but that you know that kind of suck energy out of you maybe you don't have that willpower to go on the extra attack in the race or to do all the so i don't know like I'm, i'm not saying like this is the way to do it but for me right now i feel like this is the way uh that makes me the better version of myself if that makes sense with all these extra social pressures and i had it myself and the coach is saying this and the team is saying this and how we how did you have the clear mind to go okay no actually i need to really sort of work this out i need to talk to someone i need to learn about this and i guess on the back of that what are you passing on you know obviously you've got the podcast which is perfect but i mean how are you passing this on aside from you know vocally on the podcast I think the first thing is like, well, ultimately, like as an athlete, like, yes, there's all this team around you, but ultimately you're the master of your own ship, if that mm. makes sense, I think. And and this is very, I think it it's empowering to make your own decision and to choose the path that you want to take. Maybe as a younger athlete, like it gives you confidence to follow what everyone else is telling you. But <laughs> ultimately, and I'm sure you've gone through this too, like ultimately you grow up and you get to know yourself and you're like, well you know what, I know what I need to perform. Like, I know what mm. will make me the best at athlete. And yes, like, I still need help. Like, I need help in le- knowing, like, exactly what training or, like, how do we plan these things, like, logistically to peak at the right time. Like, this, I need help. But ultimately, I'm the one who knows what I'll what m- will make me the happiest and what will make me, you know, the strongest. Mm. And, and I well, think... Well, having the confidence, though, to do yeah. that, you know, it takes... But it takes time. Like in early in your career, and I can just imagine this, it's just like, well, I just need to do this. I need to train, you know, fasted and I need to, you know, eat nothing and I need to push when I'm fully tired. But as you said, you need to build up this confidence and go, you know, I know this doesn't work for me. Exactly. And I'm going to show you right now. But it's it takes time, you know, and hopefully yep. it hasn't crushed you before that moment. Yeah, it does take time, but I think once you can realize it, it, it just it's really empowering. Like knowing that mm. you're you're making your own decision and that if you succeed is it's because you've made these decisions and if you fail, it's like, "Oh yeah, well maybe that's it's also on me, but like what what did I learn through that?" And I think it's I don't know, it makes the the journey more fun, I think, knowing that <laughs> you've made your own, you know, that you've made it your own, that that it was your choice, like choosing to go do a training is much more empowering and you're going to do much better i think than someone mm. telling you to go do it so i think there's like it's a fine line a fine difference but it, it has a huge impact and then how am i passing it along well i don't really know like i think if someone asks question i'll, I'll share what i've learned or share my opinion but i i will i don't want to tell anyone you know you should do this mm. or you should do that because ultimately i don't know and ultimately i'm not them so like i can't mm. make the decision and i i think it does need to come from yourself like what mm. you what you're willing to try and you know i'll say that like when i first tried like this thing of like i worked with professionals to like get back into trying to have my period and trying to learn like i worked with people at orico it's called and they were great but initially i mean it was kind of a disaster like i got so into it like eating all this and that and like being on top <laughs> of it i ended up gaining fi- 15 pounds and then i was like okay well maybe that's like maybe i overdid it you know like there was definitely a time that was like nice. this sucks <laughs> 
But then, but you almost need to go to that that limit, don't you? And well, go, okay, I think now so. I can dial it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then I learned, like, okay, well, this maybe is a bit too much for me, but like, I get the same effect, like the same benefits if I just like mm. a- adjust it to my own self and my own training and my own body, like, and then I can have the same benefits, but I also can keep like a reasonable weight, you know. And so I think it's just a learning. It's a learning process process and it takes time so if like someone has to be willing to do it for themselves and just be wanting to learn I think and and I don't know how I can pass it along other than sharing what I've learned or sharing my story but then I don't feel that I know enough to give advice you know well let's let's talk about what you're going on to now and you mentioned at the start of the podcast that you've just come back from injury and a pretty pinnacle part of your career at the moment you're heading across the world championships and doing a pretty exciting trip. But this sort of comes off what you just said before. I thought it was quite interesting. Just having that confidence and knowing that you, what you want to do that makes you happy and making it work in, you know, work into your career, I guess, or to your to your lifestyle. Tell me a little bit about the World Championships now and what you're doing going across the worlds this year. Yeah, so the worlds are in Scotland this year and I had never been there, but I think it looks cool. And, you know, normally like... I'll go to world championships and I, I want to fight for the rainbow jersey. Like normally I, I want to try and win. But this year, I mean, I just had I had three herniated discs that I had to take care of. So I just <laughs> did that. And, I, and so I'm not <laughs> super fit right now. I'm OK, but like not that great. So I know I won't be going there to fight for the win. And, you know, I've, I haven't qualified for the cross country race because I've done nothing. So but I was able to go for the marathon uh, marathon cross country and the e-bike. I love the marathon. Like it's sort of like, yeah, oh, you can just do that. You can't do the cross country, but you can do a hundred k. Well, yeah, and it's going to be tough too. <laughs> like I, I, I kind yeah, of agree with know, you. I horrible. agree with you, but <laughs> whatever. It's not as co- maybe there's not as many people that want to do it, so it's easier <laughs> to just like qualify for it. So yeah, I'm doing these two races, but I thought, okay, like I mean, we're not going to win, so why might as well make the most out of this trip? And so we're bikepacking so we're flying from Montreal to Dublin and Ireland and bikepacking for four days to get to the the start of the race and then racing the marathon so I think it's you and your husband yeah me and my husband and turns out two of our friends are also joining but yeah me and my husband and and you know I think that's you know you were talking about how the sport evolved and women's sports and all that like that's a cool evolution of the sport too like Mm. there's value for these things right now you know if you want to Mm. talk about adventure and stuff and and i think it's it's one of the cool things like yes i still want to perform but it doesn't mean that i can't go and adventure and you know my sponsors are happy about this but there's also going to be happy if i if i perform like there Mm. there's so many things that you can do and if you're just for me like opening my world to see like oh my God, there's all these other things that I love about cycling and I always have said mm. no to because I said they, I thought they were not, you know, compatible with performing, but depending the time of the year, I think it can all, you know, blend together and, and one can help each other and vice versa. So yeah, for me, like, I'm so excited about that. Are you taking all your stuff on the bike? Like you are doing bike packing, like you go to the world championships with all your stuff on your bike. That's it. Well, Yes and no, like yes, but I ah. I did I shipped I sh- I mean I shipped some tires and so a hydration okay. vest, uh, just like a oh that's cr- it. Well, yeah, very little. Th- I shipped some bottles, like extra bottles, because in cross country, like I might need to yeah. change bottles. So I ship I ship bottles, hydration vest, t- 
tire, extra tires, and a pair of jeans in case it's cold. But that's it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's brilliant. That is so great. When I heard about this, I thought it was a, it was a great idea. Because like you said, the evolution of it, if you did this sort of 10 years ago, people would have just gone, have you heard about this madman? Yeah. She's writing to the thing and you would have got you know ridiculed. No wonder she's not going to perform. But you know, we, we understand now that it isn't a hindrance. And that, I think that's what you were just saying before is being comfortable in what you know works for you. And I think wholeheartedly knowing this is going to make you happy, you know, whether it's going out for ice cream, whether it's bikepacking to the world championships, because of where you're at, that's what's yeah. going to make you really happy. Lastly, just before we go, I want to talk about the cross season coming. Yeah. Can I yeah. just add one thing to just what you just said, mm. though? Uh, I mean, I think you're right. Like, it's it's cool that there's this opening now. But I think for me, ultimately, it's like, I mean, I'm 30 now. Who knows how long I'll be doing this? Hopefully still for a few Ten years. More years. I don't least. know. But it's just, I think the question is always, and I think maybe that's a recurring theme, theme in like the, the conversation we had. It's like, ultimately, what do you want out of this sport, you know, and mm. out of this career? And for me... I guess like I want to see what's the best of me like that's the main thing but also I want to finish this and say like oh my god like what a great time I had you know and mm. how the all these experience and this to me fits into the into kind of that objective where when else in my life am I going to go bike pack through Ireland and Scotland you know like right now that's it's kind of my job it's part of my job like this fits into my job but also like it will bring so many good memories and experience that I think when I finish my career like yes I, I think that will mean a lot and yes like the titles and the wins are cool but also yeah there's other things like for me it's it's very multi-dimensional it's really not just about winning and and I think this mm. this kind of fits into this and and you know I still want to win but it I don't know if that makes sense <laughs> it totally does I think and like it's got to be, it's got to be that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think exactly where you're at at the moment. That's why I wanted to talk about the cross because I think the balance then will swing the other way. Yeah. Um, you want to go to the cross season, and that's you know going to be considering what your season is. Look, I'm only imagining what it would be because if I was in your shoes, this is how it'd be. This is a building phase for me. I am going to take it serious when I'm there racing, but I need to put it in perspective for the whole season. And I'm going to have to turn the screw later around Christmas time when I'm doing these cross races and I'm going to be fully fit. And that'll be my time to be on the other side of the scale. And that's what I wanted to ask you. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but tell me about the cross season before we go. What are you thinking about that with this with this sort of trajectory towards that? I mean, you're like 100% on it. Like, this is what I want. Like, I'm, I think I'm 30 years old now and, you know, I've had, you know, a few podium in the World Cups and... and and I want to see if I can have more, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to see I, I'm still hungry for that. And I still want to do well. And yes, like one, this, honestly, when I come back from this trip to Scotland, we're kind of turning the screw a little bit and like being mm-hmm. more focused in our preparation because it will be like the two months before the start of the season. And and I'm also excited for that, like equally as excited because I think it's a fun mindset to be in when you're kind of mm. focused on a goal and just like making every decision towards this goal. I love that. And I love the feeling of being the night before a race you've prepared for and just feel like, like, mm. let's just go. Like, I'm so ready. I've done everything. And, <laughs> and I I love, you know, knowing that. So for me, that's equally as exciting. And and but I do need that balance. Maybe when I was younger, I mm. didn't need it. But right now, where I'm at, I need it. And I I noticed that I'm not able to be that focused, like fully focused, 
tunnel vision for performance. I'm not able to do it mm. all year long anymore, but I still have these pockets of like few months in a row where I can do it really well, but I do need that kind of balance the rest of the year. So I think it does make me more focused though when it's time, like I'm really into it. I'm looking forward to it. So it, it helps me, but yeah, there's definitely that, that balance. So yeah, looking forward to cross. I think it's going to be a fun one, fun season. Well, there's, there's lots for people to take out of this, especially young athletes, I think, because as you said, you, you can learn a lot once you, once you look back on your career. And I think if you know, people listen to this who are younger and they, they want to get that bit more of a balance, but I love how honest you've been in the podcast too, Magley. Thank you very much for being on the pod. I could just can't believe where that hour's gone. We yeah. could just keep talking like this for ages. Well, thank you. It was so nice meeting you. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks for, yeah, all your good question. It was, it was fun. <laughs> thank you. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Magley. She was really fun to chat with and always great chatting with a fellow podcast host because they sort of get the game they've got a good microphone and they understand how to connect the zoom call and all that sort of stuff which probably everyone does know how to do and I'm the only one who doesn't get it these days but I really did enjoy talking to her about a whole range of different topics and some interesting things and I love how open and honest she was too I wish her best luck at the world championships but I think this cross season is going to be awesome to watch. She's had that break in the middle of the season. I think she's going to be firing this winter. A big thanks goes out to our major partner in the podcast, Rafa, Will Jones, who puts the episodes together, and the Life and the Peloton team behind the scenes, Meg and Spurlo. Guys, for you listening as well, thanks a lot. Love your feedback, so keep sending it in. And next week, we have a talking look for you. It is the history of the Tour de France quiz with the riders at the tour in the buses so guys until then cheers the music in this episode was composed by pete shelley cheers mate